Hello. According to our research, you like podcasts. Well, if you have a passion, mission, or story, you should have your own podcast. And I have a resource you might be interested in. Go to frontporchstudios.com slash products and services. You'll see how Front Porch Studios can help you enter the world of podcasting. Again, that's frontporchstudios.com slash products and services. Thank you for your time. Goodbye. We are Trisden and Ray. Having lived and spent time on the coasts and in rural Appalachia, we feel like we have a unique perspective on most topics. Working to find the common sense middle in a country becoming more and more polarized. Welcome to Extreme Common Sense with Trisden and Ray. What is up, Ray? Hello, Trisden. That was interesting. Yeah, well, uh, sorry I screwed up the time. I should have written it down. Like I tell my wife, write it down. Did you text me the time or did you just tell me? I think we discussed it on the phone. We were actually, we had a conversation. Uh, I was in my home office while we had the conversation. We said 1130 and I wrote it down, podcast 1130 as we were sitting there. I don't know that there's a, a trail to prove that I'm not making that up, but I'm not. And it's funny because our listeners have no idea what we're talking about, but Tristan <laughs> had to call me and say, hey, fat boy, where are you? I'm already on ready. And I was like, um, oh, I thought we were 12 o'clock, not 1130. But at any rate, we are here on this, uh, I, I'm not even sure, 7th, 8th day of September, 7th day of September. It's definitely September. I know that. <laughs> You've got that much going for you. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bright. I don't know if the, the listeners pick up on you can, that. I'll tell you what, you can leave I know it right what month there. it is. Perfect. Thank you. Right, yeah, right. Order, ordering some tacos. My, pri- my Yeah, my private office just got interrupted. Um, <laughs> private but studio. what were you saying? I'm sorry. You say you're pretty bright? I heard that. Yeah, yeah. I think the listeners know I'm pretty bright. I know what month it is at almost oh, any, yes, at yes, any given time. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I will, let me tell you something, man. I'm not going to name any names, but I got a text today that said, I can't believe this, Tristan, and, but I only bring this up because you have brought it up. And you'll be proud of me. I corrected him. Again, no names, but I got a text today having to do with some money. A friend of mine is buying something. And I said, has that deal gone through yet? And what do you think he said to me, Triz? He said the other party was trying, still trying to blank him down. Oh, wow. Nice. No kidding. God's honest truth. So I texted him back and I said, you do realize that's a racist term. And oh, by the way, in these hills, he's actually trying to Baptist you down. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And he did. He did send back a a, a smiley face. But yeah, sure enough. So who do you think I thought of? Oh, wow. Well, I'm I'm sure uh, me uh, many times over as I that is one of my go to like millennial wine fest uh, topics for sure. Yeah, well, people just use it, you know, without a thought. Yeah. And, and you know what, man, I wake up every day and it, it almost have a different opinion on it. You know, I just, you know, every time I say something to somebody about it, like I hate myself for it. I'm like, just let it go. Quit being a bitch. And then at the same time, like if I didn't, then I would also feel bad. Like, man, they're, they're shitting on your family and you're just going to take that. So I don't know, man, I'm just caught somewhere in between this, like millennial, everybody's offended and I've got to, you know, nobody can say anything anymore versus it is kind of fucked up. So, well, it's tough. I suggested to him, Tristan, that he say Indian them down. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not affected, so my hey. family is not personally affected, hey. so good. 
Take I that, say all that Indians. Man, no, I, I'm pretty safe that uh, none of the current owners of Galaxy nor the prospective new owners will hear this podcast. But I say that as I had met yesterday for almost two hours, Lucas and myself, with our new prospective owner, Hamil Patel, who there. So there are a consortium of um, Indian gentlemen who are looking at purchasing, and it looks like it's about ninety percent done. It's been going on a long time, all effing summer. But um, so I will soon be working for some Indian gentlemen who are wonderful, wonderful people, Tristan, just the best people, just so you know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, it's funny, too, because if, if you take the root of that comment, the Jew you down comment, you right? know, man, I've there's you do get some of that in certain cultures and certain businesses. So you do see some of that, but I've also seen that from <laughs> the whitest white guy to black guys, oh, Indians, Tristan. you know, it, it is one of those things, right? There's I'm, no races immune from negotiation. Hey, hey, this name I will mention, and and that fat bastard who, I think he's a, <laughs> I think he's a formerly fat bastard. I think John lost a lot of weight, but I'll mention John Rizek because we're each buddies of his, and hopefully he, he, he'll be tuning in. I love John. Tristan. John bought nothing i'm talking about walmart or whatever without saying to somebody hey can we knock a few bucks off this he was the <laughs> i mean he was the king so you are you are 100 right john italian guy maybe so just he is guess okay yeah, italian and italian and german now i had a brother I, don't I had see him as much anymore i wish he no, was still I, hung I out in galaxy Right. He worked with us for a time and we had a parting of the ways, but no, I haven't seen John in, in, in quite a while. He'll still text occasionally. But I have a former brother-in-law, Mark, still alive. Mark's into his 80s. This is my oldest uh, uh, sister's husband of about 20 years from like 1970 to 1990. Mark was a very big part of my young life. And I went a few times with him to buy cars and he was Italian Portuguese, Trisden. I, I, as like a 14-year-old kid, felt bad for the car salesman because he would absolutely wear them out. It was like a game. It was like yeah. a game for Mark. He was going to get the <laughs> best deal. And and I was like, oh, because that's not my nature. And I was like, oh, Jesus, this is not only embarrassing, but I felt bad for the guy on the other <laughs> end of that. You know? But yeah. for him, it was like, that's what he did, man. And damn it, he was going to get the best deal. And did, and did, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of thing. Yeah. And you know what, I, you know, I'm a collector of stuff and I'm a car guy and I was raised literally by a horse trader uh, for many years of my childhood. <laughs> That's a true story. Tell, tell so us like, about that. Oh, well, oh my God. So we moved from California when I was five years old from a nice apartment uh, in Marin County, which is for those who don't know, just outside San Francisco, very affluent county. To literally mom and dad got a divorce and moved us to the Cumberland Gap area. And mom moved in with an ex-state trooper, Ken Ayers, who had been shot like 30 times. Like, dude would take his shirt off. This is true. From the neck down. I mean, he was nothing but gunshot scars. So he was a retired state trooper. And uh, after being shot and on disability, uh, started a horse rental farm so i spent about five years after being in affluent california literally living with my mom and this horse trader guy it was funny i talk about being poor so like we moved and the guy had the best description would be like a block shed it was just made of block there was no indoor bathroom uh but there was like you know 
50 acres with a hundred horses and mom was a horse person. So we kind of made the best of it for several years of my like grade school life. But no, I mean, I watched this guy and he was kind of the stereotype. He was, you know, wheeling and dealing on everything and negotiating on everything was literally a horse trader uh, to, you know, the, the joke term and in literality, he, he was a, a horse trader. So God rest his soul. Ken Ayers was a, uh, for the most part, a pretty good guy and learned a lot from him. All right. So a couple of questions. You were actually born in California? Yeah. Okay. University of San so Francisco Hospital. Know. Yeah. Uh, and, and then that was Virginia or Kentucky when you moved to the horse farm, the horse we, trader? Well, to be specific, we moved to Kentucky from California, which is where my grandma lived. And gotcha. then within a year, six, eight months, mom had met Ken and so he actually lived in Virginia. So we moved okay, so in that's with him in Virginia. Yeah. And your mom is a, was a native Kentuckian? Mom, I, she was a bit of a military kid. I think the, ah. hu- the husband my grandma had after my mom's dad was military. So she had moved around. She was born in Cincinnati. She lived oh, in gotcha. Alaska for a bit of her childhood. So, yeah, she was moving around a bit because of the, the military upbringing. And I've got to ask you about this guy's shots. Did it happen in one instance? You know, was it one thing he was shot or was this guy shot multiple times over his career? I, you know what? I want to say it was multiple times, but I would have to kind of go back and like, I'm still friends with his, a couple of his kids on Facebook. So I really should kind of go back and ask that. But like, yeah, I mean, he was, <laughs> you know, you talk about take off his shirt. I mean, it was like something from. You know, a really graphic horror movie. Like his, he was just shot up in the front. You know, all Jesus. the exit wounds in the back. Like, man, it this guy tells you something. Tells you something about police work in the Appalachian Mountains, eh? Well, yeah, and I think it was Harlan uh, that. So I think he was Kentucky, and it was Harlan. And I don't know if maybe it had something to do with all the the mining stuff because this would have been 60s, 70s, I guess, when he would have been yeah, kind of. And I assume the the mine uh, strikes and all that. I mean, you hear a lot of bloody Harlan and and all that. So could have very well had something to do with all that. But yeah, and I need have, to find that out. I don't think we have any real topic today, do we? I wrote down a few things, actually. So, yeah, well, I've got a couple I, things to, to pick your brain okay. on. Okay. Well, I was just going to say, I, I actually wanted to mention two things. One was from the entertainment world. I wanted to mention something about Little Richard. But the other just popped into my head because I heard this news story the other day. I think September 12th or 14th is the deadline. They're talking about maybe as many as 170,000 United Auto Workers going on strike. Um, and I heard a fairly lengthy interview. I actually sat in my car to hear the end of it. I can't tell you his name, but he's the new Jimmy Hoffa, the head of the Teamsters and the UAW and very intelligent, uh, makes his case well. But man, they're asking for some crazy shit, Tristan. They want a 46% raise over, over four years. So basically 11 and a half percent, whatever that is a, a year. Uh, they want a 32 hour work week and they want some consideration uh, uh, relative to UV, uh, UV, not UV, EV, relative to electric vehicles, meaning that, because I never thought about this, and and I can tell this quick story, this is my own stupidity. I've only ever, I've I've never driven in an electric vehicle, but a salesman here for Galaxy, um, our food salesman, Arliss, drives a Mustang, an electric Mustang. So he said, come out and check it out. He, he said, take it for a ride. It's now, now, just give us a tutorial. And Brandon, our mechanic, standing there. So I said, you know, he opens, he opens the 
the front, the hood, and there's nothing, absolutely nothing. And I said, well, where's the motor? Brandon goes, there ain't no motor. Do what? So underneath are all the batteries, right? So there's no drivetrain because each wheel is powered individually. So all of the people that make, you know, those parts, jobs would go away. So they want some kind of, you know, consideration for them going forward. Like, I, I guess there'll still be auto parts made, fender, so on and so forth. But people who make the, the, the engine and the drivetrain might not have an assembly job in 20 or 30 years. So I don't know how you work all that out, but apparently they're, you know, trying to get Uncle Joe involved. And to his credit, man, he twice, I think they averted a railroad strike and another big strike. So I guess they're talking now to try and avert a United Auto Worker strike, but 170,000, I'd say they have a little bit of cachet if they all went on strike. Yeah, I would agree. That's really fascinating. And I think you're you're looking uh, at a world too with... Um, Hollywood basically on strike right now from yeah. the actors guild to the, uh, to the writers. And, you know, again, it's, it's literally forced me into the caverns of watching Fox news for late night TV, which has been very hard, but uh, yeah, man, it makes you wonder like, is the country trying to break unions right now? What? I mean, it's, it seems Actually, like a lot of strikes. It's, it's funny you say that. So I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole after I heard that interview and everybody talks about the 50s and how great the 50s were for working people. And they were. And uh, union participation was at its highest in the 1950s, upwards of 40 percent of, em- of employees in the United States were unionized. It's down to like 10 percent private, a little bit higher in the public sector, t- teachers and so forth. Uh, but what you don't know about the 50s, what I didn't know, is there were many strikes in the 50s. Why? Because labor was at its pinnacle. So they had the leverage to say, F you, we want more. So in some ways, these strikes are a little bit more of union of labor kind of flexing their muscle. Because, again, labor's become important post-pandemic and everything. People realize, oh, shit, we got to have laborers in order to make products. Yeah, and I would say the thing that catches my attention from that without having actually listened to the interview, man, 32-hour work week, about time, right? Like, it really feels as though- You think so? Yeah. I think America, the world is probably due to have a little bit more of their time. I could dig that. I, I, I'm very envious of the four-day work week. Now, I will say in this job, I have lots of autonomy. I was able to run out today and do this podcast, which I didn't think we were doing for an extra half or another half hour. But so I, I have no complaints. But yeah, I could dig that. I think the Europeans have been doing that for a long time, right? You would know that before I would. And, and, and to your point, like I could tell the owner of my company today, I'm not working Mondays anymore. And he would just say, okay, you know, it's not a situation that it affects me as drastically as it would, you know, so many others. But, man, I was talking to a buddy of mine yesterday working 12 and 16-hour days in, in a local factory. And it's just like, man, people deserve to make enough money and have enough time to enjoy their life. Like, it's a shame, you know, people are working 70, 80 hours. When do you get to enjoy your life? So, again, I'll exclude you and I, but, man – Generally speaking, 32-hour work week seems pretty reasonable. And all due respect to those folks, Trizen, and I bet you I could even guess, and I might ask you off air who that company is that he's working for because I got a pretty good idea. And all due respect to those folks, God bless them. They are the backbone. Oh, my God. I just couldn't picture 70 hours at a machine uh, getting Sunday off and going back Monday and doing Monday through Saturday again. Oh, my God. Could you? No. I I mean – 
I mean, could I? Am I physically and mentally capable of it? Yes, but why do you? What's the point of existing if that's your life? Like, not to be mean. I mean, I get it. You've got your evenings, you know, and, and your one day off a week. But man, when do you have time to get anything done? It's yeah. You're just making money, and uh, I mean, all right. So here's a question for you. I'll, I'll, sure. Well, sort of off of that. You're offered a four-day work week, so you can work Monday through Thursday or Tuesday through Friday. Which do you choose? Ooh, good question. I probably go Tuesday through Friday. Me too, man. Me too. Yeah. Because to me, you know, having been a worker bee all my life, Sunday nights blow because yeah. Monday mornings blow, right? That's it. Like yeah. there's nothing worse than sitting there 7 o'clock Sunday night going, ah, oh, fuck, back to the grind tomorrow. So if you had Monday off like Friday, all right, you're working Friday, but it's Friday. Friday night, Saturday, that's cool. Right. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Monday is the day to have off. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And we used to, before the pandemic, we would do these long staff meetings Monday morning at like nine o'clock. And we would be in this uh, room for like an hour and a half for a, a meeting. And you, you see T-shirts and stuff that say this, but it was so true. These meetings could have been a quick email to touch on like the five <laughs> points. Instead, again, it was a painful yeah. couple of hours oh man some yeah the, sometimes they would drag into two two and a half hours and i would dread those meetings so bad on sunday right. nights and i've said as awful as the pandemic's been it killed those meetings and so now we will every like once every month or so get together for a half hour for like a a quick recap but i have so much i'm freed of so much stress because of the pandemic to finally be out of those meetings like i would get up some monday mornings dreading that two hours stuck in that room so bad that I would dry heave on the way to work. Just oh, miserable. Ah. And so it's like just dreading those. And so now I'm a million times happier. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So, yeah. Right, so, so having so, Mondays off the table, I think is nice. Yeah. Beautiful. Segwaying off of now I did know a retired guy, so I'm not segwaying yet a retired guy. I thought he had a great line. He said, after he retired, he said, I've got six Saturdays and a Sunday. My week is six Saturdays and a Sunday. I like that. <laughs> that is I'm looking good. forward. To, I'm looking forward to that. It, it may come soon if I can't work for these rotten in. Oh wait, no, never mind, never mind. Oh wow. Let me wow. <laughs> well, Troy, can you edit that? I think Troy's hey. going to edit that for us. Hey, I'll tell you what. Since we're talking, uh, since you say I always offend racist people, I heard this over the weekend. Is it slightly racist? Yeah, but it's damn funny. Do you know Tristan how Mexicans cut their pizza? Oh, I do not. Little Caesars. Oh, wow. That's pretty good. That's not too bad. That's not bad. Come yeah. on. If you're Hispanic, you got to laugh at that. Well, All you right. Know, my, my, my Mexican and Spanish friends on online are the very first ones to post the like Mexican word of the day. They get it. I think more often than not, they laugh at themselves. Hey, better than I do again I, to a fault, if not on certain things like ethnicity. So credit to, to them and my friends that are always kind of making those jokes themselves. But yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah, no, that's that's kind of cute. So, <laughs> hey, and to your point, real quick, Ray, there was a guy I, I will never forget this guy, and it's a story that I kind of go back to. Uh, I was driving; I'd been at Wallingford maybe five years, probably. If you were gone, you'd just been gone uh, for a little while. It was that Friday, sounds right? Yeah. So Friday afternoon, I'm driving home. I, I don't live where I live now. It was a previous house I had on Baldwin Street, and uh, there's a guy on a bicycle, kind of like a neighborhood kind of trashy dude that probably was on drugs and. You know, we had we had a little exchange, and 
He, you know, he said hi, and I said hi. It wasn't the best neighborhood. It wasn't bad, but it was Berea, so it wasn't bad, but it wasn't the best. And uh, the guy's like, how are you? I'm like, pretty good, man. It's Friday, so doing great. And uh, I'll never forget what he said to me. He goes, hey, man, every day's Friday to me. <laughs> so, like, must be fucking nice, man. Hey, there's a little bit of freedom in just being that guy and not working and not caring, right? Like you're living on some woman's couch that you met at the bar, but there's a lot of freedom there. Oh, absolutely. That's how, what was the Woody Har- what was the Woody Harrelson bowling movie? I I, I want to say Tin Cup, but that was the Kingpin. golf movie. Yeah, Kingpin. so in Kingpin, one of the best lines ever. Woody's living in that real sleazy neighborhood and he walks he's he's walking up to the apartment and there's this old guy. He's got he's just grizzled he's got the look you know just you you see that guy in every neighborhood and he says whatever hey woody how's life uh, well woody says hey joe how's life and the guy takes a big long drag off the cigarette goes taken forever <laughs> <laughs> what a great line. oh my god every day is the same Man, but that's I a just Co- to... Coen Brothers movie. I, uh, Coen Brothers movie, Kingpin. I watched that about two weeks ago. Happened to be on HBO. That's a classic. That is. Is a Kingpin funny... the Coen Brothers? Uh, it is. Yeah. Okay. And that is. Oh, that's a great movie. That's a great there, movie. There were so many lines in that movie that I forgot <laughs> that were so good. I mean, I yeah. could watch that now every week. I, I laughed for an hour and a half. I actually so need to watch it again. I need the Coen Brothers, man. I love those guys. They're 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 different. They're different, but man, they've yeah. made some good movies. Made a couple of stinkers, but they've made a list of great movies. Yeah, no question. Including Brother Where Art Thou, which you know is a classic. Yeah. But the, speaking of the world of entertainment, Tristan, just complete non sequitur, as you like to say. So CNN did a uh, two-hour documentary on Little Richard. It, it aired Labor Day. They'll air it again, probably a hundred times. I saw most of it. And it occur- this occurred to me, Tristan, that never before in the history of America and never again in the history of America will will what happened in 1955 ever happen again, which is to say this. Let's take my dad, born in 1919, um, World War II vet, no, Depression-era kid, World War II veteran, grew up listening to Sinatra, Perry Como, Andy Williams, Dean Martin, so forth. 1955, this young African-American kid named Richard Penniman is doing Tutti Frutti on one of the variety shows. I don't think it was Ed Sullivan. Absolutely stunning for someone like my dad and for that generation. In other words, Marilyn Manson came along, you know, or, or whatever rap for my kid. But we've already been shocked. We've lived through Ozzy and we've lived through Sab, you know, Sabbath. We've lived through metal. We've seen all that. So you really can't shock us as parents. And you're not going to be able to shock any parents going forward. And prior to Little Richard, that had never happened before, where you had that kind of dichotomy where people like my dad and that entire generation, the Archie Bunker generation, were just looking at the world going, oh, my God, what <laughs> is happening? It's it, it, it was just completely mind-blowing. You know, this 18-year-old kid with a pompadour stomping on his piano, singing a sexual song like Tutti Frutti, and they're just like the world's coming to an end. So I make the case that that happened one time in the history of America. It'll never happen again. The, the introduction of rock and roll is frankly what it was. Yeah, fascinating. And and I think you, you make a good point. You're you're probably never going to have that level maybe of uh, of uh, 
parents clutching their pearls and oh my God, but it does feel like every generation does find a way to somehow make the 35, 40 year old parents step back and go, holy shit. Like, you know, with it's, uh, with Eminem showing up and he's singing about no, killing does. his wife or whatever. Like it does. Right. There right. are those iterations. It seems like every so often, but there yeah, are. that was maybe but the, the original. Yeah. The pinnacle. Yeah. I, I don't think it'll ever be to that degree again, just because the dichotomy was so severe again, Eminem can talk about killing his li- his wife, but fuck, I saw Marilyn. I never saw Marilyn Manson, but I knew who Marilyn Manson was, and you, you know, and again, Sabbath and just the darkness and all that stuff. There just wasn't that. I mean, you know, and I and I could be wrong. Maybe I could stand corrected on that, but I know that history pretty well. Those pop singers were pretty light, and you know, so forth. And well, my thought on that would be too, though. To your credit, as a parent. Uh, you're a rock and roll guy. Like, there's probably not a lot that was going to make you step back and say, whoa, holy shit. But imagine somebody watching a Marilyn Manson video, you know, big right winger in church. You know, maybe they don't even own a TV. Like, Marilyn Manson freaked out some Bible Belt folks. Like, that, that was Absolutely. pretty, you know, his sort of anti-Christian rhetoric and his music and videos. That was definitely a lot of people were losing their minds. Now to your credit, you were probably sitting back saying "Eh, that's music. I get it. But yeah, I'm sure you're, you're maybe not one of those that would have been victim to that, but there was a lot of freaking out people at that time. Absolutely. Right. And, and didn't he met with a rather dubious end? I mean, he's still alive, but didn't he get in? Wasn't it some child molest? I don't mean to speak out of turn, but there was some crazy shit with him. Wasn't there? From what I remember, there was some sexual harassment stuff. Okay. I, I think because he had a pretty famous girlfriend, maybe Rose McGowan, that came out and double check this. This is not fact that she had made some sort of some sexual allegations. I don't think it was anything quite as egregious as uh, messing with kids. Gotcha. But I think sort of some you know assaulty type stuff. So not good for sure. I got you. But yeah, that was just an observation I made. I mean, he really was a game changer. I mean, it was the advent of rock and roll. And it's also why, you know, put it into racial terms. So you had little Richard. Of course, Chuck Berry did his thing. Chuck largely played to white audiences, grew up in a middle class white neighborhood in St. Louis. But little Richard um, could be dismissed by people of the Archie Bunker generation as, oh, that's that N-word music, which they would have said, frankly. Um, But then when Elvis... You know, then when Elvis came along, now they had to pay attention because now you've got this good-looking white kid stealing that same sort of lick. I mean, Elvis willfully and willingly borrowed from Little Richard. They, they make that point in there. And so now you had, that was Sam Phillips' genius, like all this wonderful music and this energy is going on in the black community that white people don't know about. And we got to find a conduit to get white people on board with this. And, you know, Elvis was that conduit. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. And man, talk about the most man used formula in the history of music is the let's see what the cool African-Americans are doing and let's steal that and sell it to a white audience. Right. Like that's been sure. how many times sure. could you could you count that uh, having, having happened? It's, it's just the repetition of American history. And it's one of the great ironies and paradoxes, isn't it? Even even the yeah. language. You know, sure. black language is so colorful and so full of emotion. It's the difference between the black and white church and, and whites are always borrowing. You know, the term rock and roll itself was taken by Alan Freed, a white 
Jewish disc jockey in Cleveland, and he was tuned into the black community, and black guys used to use rock and roll to refer to the sex they had the night before because the language is so alliterative in the black community and so wonderful. Man, we were rocking and rolling last night. Can't you hear that? Yeah. And Freed was like, Freed was like, rock and rocking and rolling. Oh, I can do something with that. Man, pretty crazy. And it's always funny, too, when you think of the links that music comes. Like, if you think before Little Richard in the 1940s, what were people listening to? It was like, you know, and then all of a sudden, like, that's a pretty drastic change, you know? That's my point. That's exactly my point. For white. Charleston. Right. Right. Sure, for for yes. white America, for, for yeah. my dad, for my, for my mom and dad's America. Yes. Now, Bill yeah. Street existed for years. You had Louis Jordan down there in the 1920s, which a lot of people say was the original bebop music that led to rock and roll. But white people weren't hearing that. Again, that yes. was Sam Phillips' genius. He would venture down to Bill Street in Memphis and be like, golly, stuff is going on down there that white America is not hearing. We got to find a way to let them hear this. Man, and imagine being some Zeke from the Creek white kid or, you know, that had, you know, again, you, you've been completely sheltered and going to a Beale Street in 1928 or 1930 yeah. and hearing some of that music for the first time. I mean, it had to be, you know, life changing to, to experience that for the first time. Well, and nothing's new, Tristan, to your point. You had, let's say that did happen. The pastor would tell you the next Sunday that that was the devil down there. You better not go near that. That's Satan's Satan's music. That's not, yeah. you know, that's not the Lord's music. Well, and you watch, it's a great scene. Obviously, it's complete fiction, but they kind of encapsulate that a bit in the, uh, and I know you're going to tell your joke as soon as I'm done, but in Back to the Future, when Michael J. Fox comes on stage and plays Chuck Berry, it, it, it's fascinating because, again, they had never heard anything like that. It was a couple of years prior, and and they're loving it at first, and then by the end, he does the guitar solo, and everybody's just looking like, "What the hell did we just see?" The so, Eddie Van Halen riff, very true. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know if I can tell that joke. That may be an off-air joke, but that is a true story. But yeah, that was that was well encapsulated. That was well encapsulated in that movie. Uh, where's Jaeger when you need him? Zemeckis, I think, made made Back That's to right. the Future. Robert Zemeckis. That, yeah. Okay, right. That's wonderful because, yeah, that's a bit what we're talking about. Like, all this, they're at that fucking under the sea enchantment and they're dancing to the Perry Como type stuff. And here yeah. comes, you know, da -da 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 and they're all, and they're sort of digging it. And then they're just st astonished when he brings it up to really, you know, the 1980s with Eddie Van Halen. And he's yeah. just running down the guitar neck and riffing, and they're just all, whoa, that's a little too much for us. we got to wait 30 years for that. So yeah. more to your point than mine. That's that's a great reference. Yeah, that's good stuff. Oh, man. So uh, speaking of – Is there a polite way that I could tell that story? Uh, I feel like you've told it on here before, but maybe not. So It was the first date that I went on with – my late brother-in-law, Vince, that was the start of a 30-year relationship or thereabouts because that movie came out in 85 and Vince passed away in 2014. So best part of 30 years. And we went on a double date with the two sisters who we would each marry and then move to Kentucky together and so on and so forth. And Vinny was, you can't say he wasn't a racist. Vince was a white guy. We all have our tendencies. But, but Bobby Smith, uh, a black sax player, spoke at Vince's service. He They were... Thick as thieves, best of friends. But Vinny was just Vinny. 
So when that scene happened, and this is the first time I'm in his company, so it's a, I'm seated at one end, Patty's next to me, Nancy Vince at the other end. So he leans across the two women to me when that scene comes up just so quick and says, I knew the brothers didn't invent rock and roll, only he might not have used the word brothers. So oh, no. it was just it was just the quickest fucking thing. And I said, oh, I'm going to like this guy. Because it was just funny. I mean, a black guy would have laughed at that, you know? Chuck, right. Chuck, it's your cousin, Marvin, Marvin Berry. Listen, listen. He goes, I knew the blacks didn't invent rock and roll. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, great yeah, movie. Great. And, uh, yeah, great point. And I saw a bit of that um, that documentary on CNN, but I didn't realize what it was. I was kind of channel surfing. And uh, yeah, I'll have to check oh, that little out. Richard? I, little Richard, yeah. So I bet yeah. that is pretty fascinating. I need to. Well, check he was that a strange out. cat, you know. He was an he was a gay man who obviously had to keep that suppressed, and then really pissed the gay community off because he came out and said that he hadn't had sex. Now this is probably in the eighties. He hadn't had sex in fourteen years because homosexual sex was such an abomination to the Lord, so on and so forth. You can imagine how that went over with the gay community. So sure. he was a very I mean, he lived a long life. He passed away at 87 or 89 just back in 2021. So he was with us a long, long time. Yeah. And so he, you know, he was somewhat tortured in his, you know, a, a, a gay black uh, pioneer in rock and roll in the 50s. Wow. Yeah. And, and kind of androgynous. I mean, you know, sort of sure. he was doing that thing long before, you know, is that a man? Is that a woman? What the hell? Yeah, he was probably the originator of that for sure. And, uh, and and to to that point, I, you know the abomination stuff. I mean, you just feel bad for your gay friends when you hear stuff like that. But I, how about this though? How fucking scary would it have been to be a homosexual who was sexually active circa 1985, middle AIDS pandemic? Like that oh. would make you want to take 14 years of sex off, right? Like you might just say, "Forget this." I'm gonna, no, that's I'm true. Gonna, I'm just gonna I, self it for a couple decades until they get a cure. Like that had to be miserable. That's so. interesting, Tristan. So so you're a five-year-old kid then. You have little recognition. I remember it well, the AIDS epidemic. And people don't realize, you think the fucking COVID, COVID was like a walk in the park. I mean, AIDS was, uh, people literally freaking out. Um, I mean, it, it was just crazy because no cure, it kills you. And then, you know, uh, initially uh, that's, you know, and I, and I hate to put it this way, but this was the sentiment. That's the fags out in San Francisco, F them. You got an idiot like Jerry Falwell talking about God's retribution for your lifestyle. I mean, just just fucking brutal. But I think what you're saying is the actual real consequence of of gay people. You had to think twice. Uh, uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood. That song, Relax, Don't Do It, was about, that was a message to the gay community. Relax, Don't Do It was don't have sex because we got to figure this out because we're fucking dying from having wow. sex. I didn't realize that. Amazing. Relax, don't do it. Yeah, that's what it's yeah. about. But God, that had to be. I mean, even... You know, I mean, certainly it, it, it affected the homosexual community disproportionately. But even to just be, you know, a single sexually active person at that at that time had to be oh, yeah. pretty No, no, it, 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 it sort of ended the sexual revolution of the 70s. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. it, was, a, it was an amazing, amazing time. It really was. And, and I'm not short selling COVID. That was scary as shit. And we were all caught up in it. But again, nothing's new. The AIDS epidemic in the eighties was whew, was crazy, crazy. Yeah, and, and well, there may actually be a pretty good segue back to COVID because I feel like a lot of people right now are getting it, and they're getting a pretty rough version of COVID. I've had a few uh, clients in the in like the past few weeks that I've spoke to that were just like, 
man, this is way worse than the first time. It's much closer to like when you've got a really bad flu and you just can't do anything. And uh, so what do you make of that? I mean, it just feels like it's going to be with us. I guess it's going to be with us. And I I guess it's not. the, The good news is there's not as much mortality from it. Um, it is much like the flu and, you know, we live with the flu, right? We've lived with the flu all of our lives. Uh, you get it. Some people succumb, but it's a very small, very small number. And then you feel like shit for a few days and you go on. And I guess you live with the adage, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Although sometimes what doesn't kill you just makes you feel like shit and feel worse. No doubt. I saw a poll recently, uh, man, and it's so sad because again, we're in, the middle of Republican country here. And as we continue to say, like these people are some of the best people you'll ever meet, but man, the COVID pandemic is effect disproportionately affected Republicans by about 15 to 20%. When you look at death rate and hospitalization because, because of all this anti vaccination rhetoric and it's really sad. So anytime you start to see it spike up, I've got a lot of, you know, in-laws and people that I care deeply about that are scared to death of that vaccine because of everything that, uh, you know, right wing, deep, deep right wing media has said. And you mean, I've had like four of those things and I'm, you know, just as crazy as I was before. It's just a shame. I, I, it, it's it's just a it's just a shame that it got as politicized as it did. But it's just reflective of where we find ourselves in 2020, 21, 22, 23 America. The polarization is is not at an all time high. We fought a civil war. Adams and Jefferson were fucking brutal enemies. But, you know, um, going back to the founding of the country. But it's as bad as it's ever been, I, I, I guess, short of the civil war. And, you know. Uh, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Trump, Biden, Biden, Trump. Good Christ. It's ugly. Well, what's our responsibility with COVID at this point, right? You get COVID. Do you go back to masks? I mean, do you sort of shelter at your house for a few days? Because I've got a good liberal buddy who's just like he caught it on a vacation, didn't mask up, and, you know, and he would have wore a mask the entire time. But he's like, look, people have had an opportunity to get vaccinated. Like at this point, you just got to go and. I don't know. So it made me think, you know, I haven't had that second wave of it, but what do you do? Like, do you just kind of, I mean, you don't want to put people at risk, but I would pretty much, I would pretty much subscribe to his philosophy. Now I I don't even know what is the protocol right now. If you are test, if you do test positive, what's the actual protocol? Yeah. That's my question. I haven't heard anything of that nature, you know, in the last year. Are you supposed to stay home for several days? No clue. No, I'm not sure either. But, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, common sense would tell you to try not to spread it. So, I mean, I guess if you're able to stay home right. for a few days and certainly right. if you're, you know, the one that does the grocery shopping or whatever, I would think probably appropriate to wear a mask still, even though in Kentucky people kind of still look at you sideways. But, yeah, I mean, I think appropriate precautions probably <laughs> no matter what. That the is CDC funny, Tristan. If you're wearing a mask right now, you're basically in the liberal camp. You know, you're going to have conservative people go, oh, look at that asshole liberal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And which that's sort of been the whole time, right? Like there was maybe two months where the masking was appropriate. I actually had a very Republican lady. I won't mention her name, although you would know exactly who I'm talking about. That was sewing face masks early in the pandemic. And I thought, how cool. And I wondered, man, two months later, if she was wearing masks, because it just, the day it became partisan, you know, it just felt like the, the line was drawn and it, yep. and that's where it went. 
Yep, absolutely. All right, man, we're winding it down. We're going to do a little bit shorter show since we have stuff to do and got a late start. We've not gotten to one of your topics. What you got? Oh, well, let's do this first. Before we get to a topic, let's take a little break. Yes. And Troy can right. put together some commercials for us. So thank you, sponsors. We appreciate you deeply. And we do. that, here's a commercial. Hi, this is Tony with We Do Epoxy, and I'm looking for ugly floors. I mean, so ugly, dirt won't stick to it. We can take your ugly garage, basement, porch, or patio and turn it into a work of art in just a couple of days. Is your garage floor so ugly you keep the door closed to prevent anyone from seeing it? We Do Epoxy can fix that. Stop living with ugly concrete. Call me today at 859-582-7920. That's Tony at 859-582-7920. Welcome back. We hope you enjoyed that. Wonderful word from our sponsor. So, uh, Brief one thing- interlude. We're sounding like a very <laughs> professional pod. Well, I shouldn't say that. We're sounding like a somewhat more <laughs> professional podcast. Like for a racist, like foul-mouthed, shitty podcast, we're a pretty good podcast, I think. Fair. Fair. <laughs> so, and the I racist, mean, well, and the racist you know, shitty I, I, is I, is all me. If you could actually find a decent podcast partner, you might go somewhere. <laughs> No, if I thought you were an actual racist, I, we wouldn't be doing the podcast, of course. But, of course, um, I, I've always said I admire the self-reflection and to be able to say, like, to admit bias, which is something that, you know, people don't want to say or like that I was raised a certain way. So I always appreciate that. I think it's it's nice when people are able to say the things that aren't the programmable, this is what I'm supposed to say in this situation, and actually take some stock in their own mind. And, man, I think that's a beautiful thing. But I, I will yeah, say no, – I agree. Uh, yeah. So sad about Jimmy Buffett. Were you a big Buffett guy? Oh, my God. So I never saw Buffett. I was certainly the, not at all a parrot head, but had great respect for him. And, and that respect even grew after his passing. I read – because I do uh, have seen Dylan, and, and, you know, he's the ultimate. Uh, Dylan gave us Bruce, if you will. Um but, you know, Bob Dylan, uh, no one other than Bob Dylan uh, or no one less than Bob Dylan said Jimmy Buffett was one of his favorite songwriters because we know that the, the great eight, as they called them, you know, Margaritaville, Finns, Pirate Looks at 40, so on and so forth. But B- Buffett put out 30 albums and I don't know them well, but there's some deep shit on those. You know, he, he wrote best selling books. I mean, he truly was a writer and a storyteller, just a great storyteller. So, yeah. And, and you know, probably someone who represented a particular lifestyle more than any other artist, right? So you can associate Bruce Springsteen with New Jersey and you can associate the Beach Boys with the California scene. But Buffett actually lived it every day of his life. I mean, he really lived that beach bum lifestyle and God bless him for it right now. Is it a little ironic, Tristan, that he died of skin cancer? Perhaps the (laughs) ultimate beach bum. But, you know, sometimes life be life in, right? Man, no doubt. And I will say this, like, yeah, it sucks and a bit of irony, but is there a cooler legacy to leave the world than to literally be like the chill the fuck out and go to the beach and have a pina colada guy? Like, what else would you want to be remembered for? You know, that's 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 a great legacy. And by all accounts was a very, very likable individual, very, very likable and liked individual. Yeah, I completely agree. And I didn't realize, you know, I kind of knew him as the, and I'm sure that's the parrot head guy is who he's been, but uh, Alec Baldwin posted on Instagram the come Monday, and I wasn't familiar with that song. What a beautiful song. Oh, God, yeah. One hell of a a songwriter. Reflective and, you know, uh, 
pensive and deep and just, you know, where's my life headed and how did I get here? And right, because not everything he wrote was feel good and drink a pina colada. There's some some deep, dark stuff in, in Buffett. Well, I mean, he I think the story's told he went to Nashville as a young man because he always had that country twinge. Didn't really didn't really work. Went down to Key West. Now, he's down in Key West 1970-ish before it's this huge tourist attraction. There's some real uh, interesting characters down there. And he starts writing about their stories, you know, and um, and basically introduces us to that life um, as as more than just a two weeks of, ye- of a year. You can actually live like this. And there's people down here that are living like that, you know. That's the life, too. Like, I don't know, you know, why don't it? Why, I'm not sure why everybody sort of doesn't just choose to do that. I mean, I get having a professional life and, you know, you don't want to be a beach bum, but man, I think it's so important, you know, kind of to your, to what you said there. I mean, you've got to take care of yourself more than two weeks a year. You've literally got to, we only get this life once I'm assuming. So we really have to to enjoy it as best we can. Yeah. Of course, the other irony to Jimmy Buffett is he was a fantastic businessman who was worth upwards of a billion with a B dollars before he died. And I can remember reading some years back, Triz, and he came on, took a little bit of flack, oh, the beach bum. And he was like, hey, I make no apologies for the fact that I've been successful. I've seen, I remember the quote, I've seen the music industry ruin a lot of people. I make no apologies for the fact that I've learned how to make it successful or figured out how to make it successful. So good for him. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's nice to have somebody selling you something positive, too. Like, look, if your vibe is at the beach and smiling and enjoying your friends and having a good time, good for you, man. Keep making those yeah. songs about that. And I hope somebody picks up that mantle and continues to carry it because a little positivity in this world is not the worst thing. So Yeah, uh, so R.I.P. to a legend. R.I.P. Jimmy. Yeah, so uh, what do you think of this traction that folks are getting trying to keep trump off the off the ballot oh man i think it's terrible tristan i don't want to see that i I, my my sister-in-law mary had sent me something i have great respect for mary but i do think the far left is pushing this i think it's horrible I, i i think that if you want donald trump not to be your president you've got to beat him in an election you are only going to piss people further off using the 14th amendment and some arcane reference to something that happened post-Civil War where they wanted to keep some Southerners out of government. Um, And it's only actually been utilized a handful of times in the nation's history. And I think to utilize it for Trump would be a grave disaster. Well, I hear you. And and to me, that would be exactly what I would expect every Republican senator to say on Meet the Press when asked that question. But I guess my follow-up question to that would be, at, at what point do these laws have to mean something to powerful, important people, right? So if it's – and again, I, I'm not a lawyer, and I haven't looked at the 14th Amendment specifically. But at what point do we say, man, he's pretty much – he definitely has uh, – you know, say January 6th was certainly an, an affront to the Constitution. And if the 14th Amendment, the 14th Amendment says – you know, you, you can't run for office if you've had an affront to the Constitution. At what point do we say, and I get it, people would be mad, but, you know, imagine if this was Hillary Clinton and Hillary Clinton was, you know, imagine if some of the emails that, that whatever, that Hillary wrote said, you know, she was trying to do something with Russia. It was very obvious what Hillary was doing was illegal. And then, you know, if somebody wanted to hold her accountable for that, I mean, what do we have the rules in place for if well, they're only for everybody else? I think that you would have a hardcore element of conservatives 
who would be saying that about Hillary, and I would be disagreeing with them, and I would think moderate Republicans would be disagreeing with them, just as you have a hardcore element of people on the left saying it about Trump, and, and I disagree with them, and I think moderate members of the Democratic Party would, only for this reason. You might be able to prove that. You might be able to tie him to it and say that he led that insurrection. But that is going to do nothing to solve the division that we have now if a guy who got 78 million votes in 2000 is not allowed to run for president because of an arcane, um, uh, an arcane uh, piece of the Constitution. I don't think that's a good way to keep Donald Trump from being president just because of where we find ourselves. And I take what you're saying and I and I and I'm not voting for him. And I've you've heard my opinion of Trump. It's it's I think he's been terrible. I, I knew he was going to be terrible when he came down the elevator in 2015. He has been terrible. I feel no joy that that view that he'd be terrible of mine was vindicated. But I don't think he should be kept off from running by the 14th Amendment. I don't think that's going to help the country's division at all. Well, uh, to your point, I 100% agree with what you're saying in that there's no way it would help the division in the country if, you know, a, a third of the country doesn't have their boy on the ballot. But it, I don't know that that's the law's job to concern itself with that. Like, either you break the law or you didn't. And so, yeah, I mean, it would be bad for the country maybe if Trump wasn't on the ballot because – he has a lot of supporters, but like also if a pastor who has a really big flock of people who love him rapes a kid, you still got to hold him accountable, even if he's well loved. So I don't know. I don't really have a strong opinion on it, but I definitely see both sides. So the clause actually states no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath, as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as any executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. So is there a strong case to be made? I, I think it's uh, I had taken some pictures of this article because I figured this would come up at some point. Never knew when. Uh, section three. Uh, 14th Amendment, Section 3. So, um, you know, there is, uh, you know, that question that is still being fought in the courts, right, as to whether or not he led the insurrection. Um, is it an insurrection? So on and so forth, right? Yeah. So, uh, no, I, it's a it's a good question, and it certainly feels like he kind of fits that bill. And, and to me, it just feels like, as well, if the Proud Boys guy who just went to jail for being a part of the insurrection. Yes. Could not two years, man. Right. And he couldn't get out and join the military because he was part of an insurrection. But by most accounts, the man who led the insurrection is going to be eligible to still be president of the United States. Again, my point is not, is it, is it good for the country or bad for the country? It's just more legally speaking, if we're going to have these laws in place and somebody very clearly, or certainly at least probably, or at least deserves a day in court for it committed these crimes we do we not i mean what what are the point of the laws if we're not going to use them no i, I mean I, it's it's certainly a debate i'm just giving you my personal opinion but no, I, no, I, fair I, enough. It, it's a strong movement from the left now i do know this tris i don't know if you knew this trump will be tried as an adult 
so I, didn't know, I did not realize that had been announced. Yes, so that, is, that. is good to know. <laughs> hey, here's a, and uh, I'll, I can wrap up with this, Ray. There was a Fox News poll out today that I saw. Uh, Fox News now, the only head to head Republican candidate that beats Joe Biden, according to this poll, is do you want to guess? Wait, let me guess. Let me guess. Yeah, let me guess. I'm going to say Nikki Haley. That's it. Nikki Haley. Really? The only, she's the only adult in the room. Gang, gang, we don't rehearse this stuff. Yeah. Uh, Tristan, I would, I would think twice about voting for Nikki Haley. I think she brings a lot to the table. I, you know, when again, I say I, think, that's funny. Think twice typically is a negative thing. I think twice before I did that. I mean that in a positive way. I would look right. twice at her. I would look twice at her before, um, b- before I, uh, before I voted for the Democrat. We do have to wrap it up because now I'm in the setup room here and people are trying to work. I've shush three of them out so uh on that note triz are you gonna do a little comedy yep we can we can go quick but yeah so to your point though i I, i'm very open to nikki haley certainly uh yeah me too gets rid of biden trump but uh so yeah thanks to troy uh i've pestered him a bit today and uh thank you as always for everything you do tony we do epoxy we appreciate you and uh brie upon aaron of course dad's flooring who we'll be uh seeing very soon uh nate stove leg media thanks for all of your hard work in the rational boomer Mr. podcast Mets. that's it thanks rational boomer we appreciate you as well and so this is what i've got today ray a little a little comedy i'm gonna slowly pull it up here um i found i, I liked which i think it was a little over the top last week but um had a gilbert Gottfried reading an excerpt of uh, 50 shades of gray so i've yes. just got about a, a minute clip of norm mcdonald jokes that i've edited Perfect. together so here's uh, here's some some Norm Macdonald jokes Perfect. and uh, let's see and and it's really hard with my phone case to start videos on the very tip. So the setup for the first joke is a new study found that men with beards are more attractive than men without beards. So if you can't hear that as I kind of started up, but here we go. Norm Macdonald. And that men with beards are more attractive than men without beards. More great work from the University of Bob Seger. <laughs> Do dogs always race to the door when you uh, when the doorbell rings? It's almost never for them. I'd like to take this moment to say I endorse podiums. That's a product I can stand behind. Barbara Walters is planning to announce her retirement. What's next for Babs? Death. My opinion, if you're going to fight the war on terror, a good place to start would be this nation's haunted houses. Okay, for the ninth consecutive year, uh, JetBlue Air, airline ranked first for satisfaction among all North American airlines. Well, you know what ranked least in satisfaction? 9-11 airlines. Wow. <laughs> what a terrible name for an airline. It reminds me of a tragedy. <laughs> yeah. Norm McDonald, That's pretty man. great. Uh, Norm, he was your favorite, right? Yeah, yeah. Norm was my favorite. Pr- pronounce my name anyway. correctly. Yeah, I always appreciate Norm for getting my name right. Uh, good dude. Where'd you meet Norm? He he uh, released a book uh, five six years ago. It was an autobiography that was anything but an autobiography. It was just a kind of crazy book he wrote in a fever dream. But uh, he was doing an online interview for it randomly, like a live stream. Excellent. I nice. jumped on and he answered a couple questions for me. It was pretty cool. But that's yeah. very cool. Yeah. He called you, got, you Trisdon, not Tristan. Looked at my name, paused, and said, Trisden. And I said, Hey, nice. pretty good. Thanks, Norm. That's very cool. Yeah. All right, my friend. Until we meet again. Sorry I was late, but I think it turned out okay. 
No worries, Ray. Take care, man. See you tomorrow to move some tables. Sounds great. Thanks, Driz. See you, Ray. Bye-bye. Tristan here with the Extreme Common Sense Podcast, thanking our friends at Berea Pond. We could not do the podcast without the generous support from Aaron and Robin at Berea Pond. And also, my house wouldn't have nearly as much cool stuff without all the items at Berea Pond. So when you're ready for your next furniture, gun, ammo, pallet, they have so much cool stuff, you're not ever going to regret going to Berea Pond. That's Berea Pond at 107 Clay Drive. In the old IGA building across from near New Auto Center. Don't miss out. If you're from the area, you got to get into Berea Pond.